Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. We got a special guest with us today, New York Mets beat writer from the New York Post and author of the new book, If Peace Walls Could Talk, Stories from the New York Mets, Dugout, Locker Room, and Press Box. Mike Puma, thank you so much for coming on. Tim, thanks for having me today. Oh, always a pleasure, man. Uh, before we jump into the book, I guess uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So uh, this is after the Mets took two from the Phillies on Tuesday. It's a nice change of pace. Yeah, and you know the bats uh, did just enough. Came up with uh, enough hits, and uh, you know the pitching here has been very good. Uh, you know, led by uh, Marcus Stroman in the doubleheader, but uh, some good signs for sure uh, in the doubleheader sweep. Oh, definitely. I think uh, Taiwan Walker looked real good, um, and really, just I guess turning the tides after uh, an inconsistent start should be a real important. I guess, focal point of, uh, of moving forward before they get too far ahead of themselves. Yeah. You know, the thing is you look at the, some of those batting averages and, you know, Lindor isn't hitting and, uh, Conforto isn't hitting and, uh, uh McNeil's uh, under 200, although, you know, he, he hit some hard balls uh, yesterday, which was a, a good sign. Uh, you know, McCann isn't hitting. So mo- most of this lineup isn't hitting. You look at where they got their offense yesterday was, uh, Dominic Smith with the, with the home run and uh, you had Nimmo was on base five times and uh, Jonathan VR came up with some big hits. So, you know, they, 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 they got their offense uh, from basically from three places. Now you, you, you got to get the rest of these guys going, wait, wait until uh, Lindor breaks out. I, I think this lineup is going to look completely different. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, just everyone kind of, re, you know, getting back to their norms. Um, finding their respective grooves. You know, this is a, it's a roster that's kind of built to compete. There's a lot of firepower. Um, like you said, I think Lindor, Conforto, uh, Pete, yeah, Alonzo. I mean, you know, the whole, the whole lineup is really just, uh, you know, they're, they're well equipped to, to compete in a very tough division. And especially if the starting pitching continues to, to produce and, and the bullpen can kind of settle into their roles. Um, yeah, it should be exciting times. Yeah, I you know I, I wouldn't worry about the the lineup too much if I were a Mets fan because I, I think there's enough pieces there that they're, they're gonna they're gonna hit they're gonna score runs you know the thing you worry about obviously is the bullpen and then uh, the the back end of that rotation until you get a couple of guys healthy but I I think the lineup's gonna come around and be just fine. Oh, same here. And, and Miguel Castro talking about the bullpen. He's been pretty impressive. He almost got out of two separate jams, yes, on uh, on Tuesday. But uh, really, just um, they're very impressive. It looks like he can really, I guess, take on some of those higher uh, higher leverage spots that maybe you know Familia won't, uh, well, can't really, or maybe can't be trusted to uh, to to take on. 
Yeah, and that's been big. And we saw it almost right from the start of spring training with Castro. Uh, you know, after after last year, you didn't really know what to make of this guy. He came over, was kind of inconsistent uh, in that month. The Mets had him after the trade deadline. Uh, but he's got a new confidence about him. He, he's he's pitched a lot better, and that that's a that's a big spot because um, if you can go Castro, then uh, right to May and Edwin Diaz, uh, it eliminates some question marks there. That's you know that that's the ideal there where you can go seven, eight, nine with Castro, May, Diaz. No, that's a that's a formidable back end. I think that could um you know. In a perfect world, that could really be a, a ticket to success. Um, Louis Rojas has been getting, I guess, a little, he was getting a little bit of heat over the first week. And, and you know, undue to a certain extent, there were a couple of decisions there. But, uh, you know, I think the the whole in over his head narrative was was definitely a little um, premature. And uh, he certainly looks like he's got his players behind him. Yeah, and I, I think he's a, a different guy this year than we saw uh, you know, last year was such a weird year. He, he comes in uh, right before spring training after the old Carlos Beltran fiasco. And then uh, uh, spring training uh, gets yanked from out under him uh, with, with the shutdown for the pandemic. And then uh, you get the 60 game season and uh, the craziness with that. I, I think he, he learned a lot uh, from last year. He, he's uh I know. I noticed it in his dealings with the media. He, he's a lot more comfortable uh, talking about the team and, and revealing information. You know, part of that goes also into the ownership change and the front office change. I, I you know, I don't think that's hanging over him as much as previously. But I, I also think uh, it, it's just a change in Rojas and how he his comfortability uh, in the job. Oh, definitely. I think the comfort level is huge. I think the, like you were saying, the ability to grow under new management um, is certainly uh, going to help him along his way. And I guess that gives us a, a perfect little segue to kind of jump into to your latest project. Um, if these walls could talk, which early returns are uh, are pretty pretty outstanding. This fan base has heard whispers about the previous ownership group for uh, for a very long time, and it. It seems like you really kind of delve into some of those stories and uh, and shine some light on some of those situations. Yeah, a little, little bit, you know. And it's not a hammer the will Pond's book where you just start to finish. It's it's uh, Fred and Jeff, but there's some stuff sprinkled in there. You know, one particular story I get into was uh, with Bobby Valentine's firing back in 2002 and how uh, Valentine thinks that a, a meeting that involved Jeff Wilpon. Uh, which ruffled some feathers, might have led to Valentine getting fired. So I, I found that interesting. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people uh, for the book. Didn't you know? Did uh, did my own new reporting basically for this? And uh, you know, I, I think if you're a Mets or even even if you're not a Mets or you're just a baseball, I, I think you're gonna like it. It basically covers uh, the last twenty plus years. Uh, Basically, I came on the scene in 98, so that, that's kind of where it starts. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you've been, a, you know, you've been on the beat for so long. Were there any, like, uh, I guess, revelations that are stories that you heard that, that you were unaware of before? Yeah, you know, I talked to Noah Syndergaard extensively. Um, 
And now he hasn't he hasn't talked to the media in over a year now. He hasn't. I don't think he's done a real extensive interview in God probably a couple of years. So I, I talked to him in the off season before the 2020 season, and without giving too much away, he, he revealed some information to me uh, about uh, his lad injury back in 2017 that I found interesting, and uh, that you know there's a. a a part of the book that kind of delves into that and kind of what the Mets knew and what the Mets didn't know. Um, so I, I think Mets fans are, are going to find that a little bit interesting. Yeah. All these little nooks and crannies about, you know, just little things that might've been hidden underneath rocks or, or what have you over the, over the years. Um, certainly looking forward to, to, to jumping into it myself. I know mine is coming on the, on the 27th. I'm certainly uh, counting the days off till that comes. Um, Everybody listening, you guys can get this on Amazon, uh, wherever you find your books. Uh, if These Walls Could Talk, stories from the New York Mets, dugout, locker room, and press box. Again, that's from Mike Puma of the New York Post. This is out from Triumph Books. I'm going through all my notes here. And uh, Mike, any, uh, any anything else cooking on your end? No, not really. I mean, the book is, uh, you know, between the book and covering the beat right now, taking up uh, most of my time really excited about the book as you mentioned the 27th of april is the publication date but uh it can be pre-ordered right now on amazon and uh you know i i, I think if you're a mets fan baseball fan uh you're gonna like it especially if you're somebody who's uh grown up with the team over the, the last two decades plus well i know uh you know, we were a we were a Newsday and Post household growing up, and in, in 1998, I was 15 years old, 16 years old, something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I've been uh, I've been on the Puma train for a while, man, and I'm certainly looking forward to uh, to getting into the book. That's a, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's a chapter on the Santana no hitter. I think that goes a little deeper than uh, anybody's gone with that before, and. Uh, I also get into 2015 a lot with uh, a lot of the stuff that was going on uh, behind the scenes uh, leading up uh, to the Cespedes trade and then some uh, behind the scenes stuff uh, from the World Series that I think uh, fans will find interesting. So it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I kind of want to see. Uh, I hope the uh, the Harvey decision to leave him in or pull him gets touched on. Oh, it gets touched on. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to it, man. Mike, I, you know, a, a million thanks for coming on. Uh, best of luck with the book. Best of luck with the season. Um, keep killing it out there, man. Thanks for having me, Tim. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, that was Mike Puma from the New York Post. Again, you can get the book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the New York Mets dugout, locker room, and press box. It's out on April 27th. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. Of course, it's always cool to go buy it from your local bookstore, support your local uh, local businesses. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and have a good time with a couple of good friends. Three, two... All right, guys, we are back. Got a couple of good buddies from Twitter that, uh, you know, you guys all know. Steven Josiah, Ray Correa, you guys know him as Ray Brutal on Twitter. Um, fellas, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we're going to have some fun. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having us on, man. Hey, so, yeah, uh, Ray just called me. He said he had an offer for, like, really cheap uh, jer- jerseys that he wanted to uh, talk oh, about. And then yeah, the that's next, really next thing, uh, next thing I know, I'm on with you. So, um, yeah, since, well, since I'm here, I might as well uh, what a setup. record some things. Yeah, I'm just playing. <laughs> so thanks for having me back, Tim, of course. Oh, guys. Good to be here. It's my pleasure. It's the family. We like to uh, we, we have fun here. It's the Dom Smith stand squad. At least this is it. Yeah, the stand well, squad. Like like half of it. Half the stand squad is here. Oh, Just I don't know. know. Is this half? The ori- we, we've grown Something like that. I think of the originals. Well, me, oh, yeah. The, the group is certainly grown. I mean, everyone on that square pretty much now is is is, is using the hashtag and. Who, who's it's not part of the stand squad? Exactly. Who's not in the Dom Smith stand squad? Yeah, if you're not on board at this point in in a in the race, then you're just not watching these games. <laughs> the breakout last year, the um, he's continued it so far this year. It's it's yeah, it's exciting. You know what's wild is that there's still people on Twitter that are like shocked that he's doing well. They're like, you know, this yeah, Dom Smith might be legit, and like. He was a first round pick. He's he's high pedigree, and people have been saying this for years. And even like, and and now it's been like parts of three seasons where he's been really, really good. What do you mean he might be good? Like this is a legit stud. Could we just start expecting it and not be shocked when he does well? Right. And it's funny though because it's like Dom is also one of those guys who had the high contact pedigree coming up, and everybody was expecting him to hit more for average than for power. And then suddenly he comes up and he's always hovered about around or been over like a 200 ISO. Like he's just exactly what you want. Yeah. He's a slugging first baseman with good, good glove work who happens to be out in left field. That's you just, know, just, it's just your, your everyday first base prospects to major story. He's a guy away from home who's staying in like a rental currently. Out <laughs> yeah. <in> left field. <laughs> All right. So enough, enough about my twenties. Um <laughs> But no, I mean, really, I mean, Dom, the way he's blossomed, the way that the rest of the core that we've seen over the last few years is kind of coming to their own. I mean, you know, there's there's a few major cogs that haven't really been doing it yet this year. But, you know, this isn't like, oh, my goodness, you know, is is Pete Alonso going to come going to snap back into it? Is Jeff McNeil going to going to going to slump all year? No, of course they're not. They're going to be fine. Same thing with Conforto. But um, 
Yeah, exciting times. The Mets finally found a little momentum over the last few days. Yeah. And, um, you know, Brandon Nemo, he's kind of just leading the way. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. And Ray, I, I got to ask Ray about this because I know he uh, he spends a decent amount of time on BaseballSavant.com. But Jeff McNeil is like his expected average is crazy high, right? Way like higher, this, is, this, is, this has just yeah. been bad luck, right? The wild thing is that like he's in the somewhere in the top 90, 90 something percentile for like average exit velocity, top exit velocity. Like he's hitting the ball really hard. It's just landing in gloves. And, you know, the mantra is, you know, you hit it hard enough long enough pause and uh eventually the balls are gonna catch the ground you know <laughs> it's a, it's a, a bunch of 30 and 40 something year olds start giggling at that i love this you know keep our youth about us uh, and, and then uh tim you i think you tweeted something about brandon nimmo's sprint speed being in the higher percentage than we thought was that you or was it ray that wasn't I, me, but I think he, it might have been Jordan. I, he's sneaky. Oh, it might have been Jordan. Yeah, yeah he's so like I, in the ninety-seven percentile to start the yeah, year off. I think off it was ninety-fifth, is what I saw. I, and if it wasn't you two, then I apologize to whoever I'm, I'm forgetting. But um, it, which is cool because he's he hasn't been that speedster. He's been fast, quick enough, but hasn't been that that blazer uh, in his young career. But people might not know, or they've forgotten that when he was drafted out of Wyoming, he he was a speed speed defense sort of player, not mm-hmm. too much like, uh, unlike Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, and, and if I recall correctly, he was either Wyoming state champ or went to state finals for the 60 meter dash. He was, he was a very, very he was quick, a runner. He was a sprinter. Yes. And so you're right uh, that he school. isn't a 95 percentile for sprint sprint speed. And uh, mm-hmm. some, something funny about Nimmo too, that I, I talked about a while ago is uh, of all the players that were on the Mets last year that are on the team this year, he had the second lowest uh, swinging strike rate too. I know the top three was uh, Guillaume, McNeil, Nimmo. Guillaume. Yeah, but, but awesome. I think I think uh, if I if memory serves me correctly, Nimmo was just before McNeil. He was swinging mm-hmm. the bat and missing balls less than him, which is crazy. And right now he's in the 99 percentile in chase rate. Like, so I got a question for you guys. What What is the upper limit for what Brandon Nimmo is? Because he seems just to get better and better. Uh, and, and granted, he's he's on fire right now. I don't think anyone expects him to hit over 400 all season. But like, what what is the best year of Brandon Nimmo's career look like? Hmm. I think it kind of looks like, like John Olerud with a lower average. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to hit. 300 but he's mm-hmm. gonna have that like he could very possibly have like the highest on base percentage since john olerud had uh what, what was it that he had on the mets to like a four oh i'm not sure i'm not sure if he, he he recorded an out i think he just walked every play to currency and get a hit you know? <laughs> that's exactly it <laughs> as long as he's yeah, wearing no. that helmet he's taking bases on balls <laughs> exactly. that's right he's even getting walk while playing first with the Mets, Jesus, Louise. All right, so his his on-base percentage with the Mets, this is John Olerud in 97, 98, and 99. He had a 400 on-base in 97, a 447 on-base in 98, <laughs> and a 427 on-base in 1999. That's the 447. How, how many uh, plate appearances was that 447? 665. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That's, that's an incredible – runs created it must have been an incredible runs created uh, season for him I, I i wonder if brandon nimmo can get there I, I, he won't if he's hitting 220 we know that but if if he can boost the average and kind of get that floor a little bit higher with his walk rate do you think he could hit 447 on his on base percentage 
I don't know about 447, but I think he's going to hover up, like somewhere above 400. He can, he can sit somewhere like 405, 410 if he keeps walking at the rate that he has throughout his whole career. And the thing that I feel mm-hmm. like as, as he's aging, his eye is only getting better, man. I, I feel like he, he's chasing way less pitches. I think also um, he doesn't really chase out of the zone too much. And when he does miss a swing, it's something that's in the zone that he just didn't catch up to. And it's usually something right. upstairs. Yeah, that's what it's got to be really frustrating for, to face Brandon Nimmo if you're a pitcher knowing like, hey, he's not going to swing if it's on the strike zone. So I've got to throw it in the strike zone, but make sure it's a good enough pitch that he's not going to hit because not only can he hit, but he has power and he could tattoo me for for a long, long home run. So oh, that's, it, it, he's a he's a very fun player to watch at the plate. I, I don't know how much his value is going to be suppressed by center field this season, but. Um, certainly at the plate, he's going to be a, a, a weapon for us. So when do we start talking extension for Brandon Nimmo, man? <laughs> I think that's a great question. So he's up after next season, is end that correct? Of, end of 2022, he's a free end agent. End of 2022, all right. Yeah, I, I think that's here, man. You got and that's also, that's also when Jacob deGrom's opt-out is too, correct? Oof. That's so yes. true. Uh, all right. Yeah. There's no way Jacob deGrom doesn't opt out. I think it's the end of 2023. Hold oh, it's 2023. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Either way, we're going to start. I mean, Conforto and Syndergaard are, are up after this year. Those are extensions that I really hope we can get done. Um, I would love to keep this team together, but at some point, it's like, are right, you get those two in? You, you start focusing on Brandon Nimmo, Jacob DeGrom. It's starting to get really expensive. It is 2022, by the way. My apologies. Mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> Kind of with the core that they've put together, and I know there's been a lot of talk about the way that the Mets have drafted in recent years and kind of the success rate with they, that they've had with their even you know middle to, to back end draft picks. You know, oh, it's been beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they've really built a, a nice core, and, and moving forward, it's going to be, you know, tough for them to um, retain everything. Yeah, you, you can't, you know, you can't re-sign everybody. You can't keep everyone in-house. But, boy, you look around and you look at Nimmo and Alonzo and McNeil and Conforto. Like, well, who out of these guys don't you want to keep in the fold? And, and you, you, know, you want to keep all of them. You <laughs> do. And, and these are tough decisions. And I know Cohen has said, I think it was Tim Healy <laughs> Newsday, he reported that, you know, the Mets are – you know, they're, they're more than willing to go out and spend in these next few years. And you saw it with Lindor and you saw it with the, I guess, aggressive talks with, uh, well, not aggressive, but, you know, talking with Conforto, talking with DeGrom, trying to head off that opt out. You know, they have um, a strong foundation. You have to wonder where they mm-hmm. go from here. And I, I guess maybe what's the point of having a multi-billionaire owner if he's not going to spend money? And if he's going to spend money, why not keep the homegrown or mostly homegrown stud players from leaving and, and going elsewhere to finish out their careers. So like I'm, I'm all about keeping this core together and just extending them and throwing as much money at them as, as needed. I mean, like I, you can't let the ground go. I mean, he's, he's the guy you got to keep after that. It, I mean, why wouldn't he opt out? He, he's vastly underpaid for what he is. I also think you, you got to keep one of Stroman or Sendergaard, if not both. I mean, but certainly one, um, so that, I think that would be my focus right now. Conforto, I'm, I'm not so sure. I certainly want the Mets to extend him, um, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Do you think he's costing himself money with this with this early season skid, or like what? At what point does Conforto start to cost himself money with a bad season? Talk to me in June. <clears throat> Talk to me in June. Yeah, if he's still cold, like a couple of months into the season, and he hasn't caught up, and his numbers aren't starting to boost again. Right. 
then then it's something that that is going to start hitting him in his pocket. But right now, I think seven we, games. Yeah, yeah. We we need to talk Chicken Little away from the edge, you know. <laughs> sure, but like you know, like, Conforto at the same time, I think a lot of people thought Conforto was going to have that Christian Yelich esque breakout where he becomes a a bona fide MVP candidate. And, and he, he always seems like he's really close to doing that, but just doesn't get, he, he's already like in the really, really, really good baseball category, but I'm not sure I would put him in the elite category yet. And it's just like, a, we keep waiting to, for him to get there. I was like, is, is he going to get there? And if so, when? I think well, he might just be a tier below, but I think he, that's still fantastic. That's sure, still, but, yeah. But he's is not it a worth 300 million? He's is it worth $150 million, though? I mean, comparatively, you know, it, some guys are getting $300 million for performance that is how much better? You know, when we're looking at this from, from a valuation standpoint of how, how many wins are they bringing to a team, it's not mm-hmm. to dissimilar. So to pay $175 million, $160 million for a guy who's giving you four, four to five wins a season compared to giving $300 million for a guy who gives you a couple of six, seven win years occasionally, not all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the numbers start to make a little more sense. And to your point, it's not like outfield is really stacked in that next year's free agent class. Neither is starting pitching. And that's really my argument for, for locking Syndergaard up. It's, it's horrible, especially with McCullers now extended. It's awful. Yeah. And even going back to, um, to Conforto, I mean, this is going back to 2019. So you're looking at like 200, his last 200 career games. I mean, even with a little hiccup towards the beginning of this season, he's still hitting – 269 373 488 since the beginning of 2019 mm-hmm. i mean you know he he's been that consistent player i mean i think his babip over that span's pushing 320 318 you know that's that's pretty close to league average that's sustainable yeah again i mean you know i would if the 5 year 150 deal is there I would try mm. and down to 25 a year, but yeah, um, that's a little expensive for me. I think for five years. Well, I mean, where's the market going though? Right. Especially, well, I think we have to see what coronavirus does to these owners pockets over the, the next year or so. And again, I think, I think Steve Cohen bought this team at a really good time for somebody to invest in a baseball team. Mm-hmm. And I think he's in this unique opportunity to spend where maybe other owners won't so if the market's depressed i i think it's it's a no-brainer um if if owners come back with you know renewed vigor financially uh, and, and start going on a spending spree then i'm not sure i would uh overbid uh when the, when there's just other mouths to feed if, if that makes sense and, and that's if, if conforto was our only homegrown player who is uh, up on the on the market soon i don't think i'd have a second thought i'd just be like pay the guy whatever he wants but when you start thinking about Stroman and Syndergaard and Brandon Nimmo and Jacob deGrom, it, th- then it starts to, to get like, oh boy, is there, is there a limit to how much Steve Cohen can spend and who do I want to spend it on out of that group? See, but to that point, um, even though you have that point that he's not the only homegrown guy who's coming up and ready to make mm-hmm. some cash, uh, when, when you consider the Mets farm system, there aren't a lot of products at that same position that you know, can, can actually fill that need if they don't get them. So they're going to have to spend regardless to be able to fill that, mm-hmm. or they're going to have to trade some of their guys to be able to get a low cost option. And, but what, what options really are there right now? Like some, some of the guys who have been looked at before in the past and guys have been interested in, like say like a Ramon La- Laureano, 
he's mm-hmm. uh he's coming up to the point where he's no longer an inexpensive option you know right and to that point too is the like that that market just being being what it is there's not a lot of the There's well's gone dry. It's, it's, it's gone dry. And if you're willing to put that money to Springer, why not? Why, why not give it to the home, the homegrown guy, the guy that maybe ha- like has that little breakout still left that we haven't gotten yet. And you're buying a little bit low. So I, I get it. I get the point, but pitching is also pretty scarce and the Mets don't have a lot of pitching in the upper minors. I do like some of the guys uh, far, further down, but um, yeah, I mean, if we, if we can throw a, almost a billion dollars at those four players I just mentioned. And, and there's no restriction on that. Then, then go after it, uncle Steve, like go, go do that. Cause I would love to keep this pretty much this very team together. And I say that with the Mets one game above 500 early in the season, I just think there's a, a ton of talent on this team and I don't want to see anybody go. No, I feel I like, I feel like I, we're going to come up to the point where like um, Steve Cohen's going to go on Twitter and do like a poll. He's like, what do you guys? What do you guys want? A Conforto extension or like detractable roof on the stadium? <laughs> Unlimited and, and, and choice, and guys. Some, somehow, Mets fans are going to turn this into a bloodbath of differing opinions because that's the only thing that we could do. Well, you look back at what happened with Zach Wheeler, and that's even with all the the, the bullshit that was coming out of the organization. They brought mm-hmm. two two good half seasons. And, you know, Wheeler, I think his last two starts between Wednesday night and his previous start um, looked good in his opening start, but he kind of hasn't been the guy he was last year. Uh, You know, that's the type of guy that the Mets should have and could have spent money on and under Mm -hmm. that last ownership group um, just, you know, didn't. That's kind of how they approach their business. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you hate for this team or under this management to kind of make the same mistakes with – whether it's position players, whether it's Syndergaard and Stroman, like you kind of have to assess future value. Um, you know, you look up and down this roster, how many 30 year olds are in the starting, starting lineup? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's not rhetorical. How many 30 year olds do they have in this besides DeGrom uh, VR? I think the only other guy who's really approaching is. Um, so, so if I recall correctly, the oldest member of the New York Mets is Aaron Loop. Um, okay and, and and so so tim i have actually uh, i don't know why i do this to myself but i've i've gone on the roster and found all of the players who are older than i am and then all the players who are younger <laughs> and it's not a lot who are older i think aaron loop and carlos carrasco are the only two born in 87 then Degrom is born in 88 and he's a few months younger than i older than i am I, th- I think that's about it. So I'm 32 so, for those listeners who don't know. I'm 32, born in November of, of 88. I think it's just those three who are older than I am on the team. And so that's, that's I, it. Have I finally re- – I was born in October 83. Have I finally – Oh, you're older, you're older than every Met, yes. I, I finally reached the point that I'm older than everyone on the roster. Uh, unless yeah. unless we have a veteran up uh, who's well, older than – yeah, like well, a, as it. it stood a, a little bit ago, it was right, Carlos well, Guys, I thank, I thank you for coming on. <laughs> but I Time to don't hang worry, out, man. Yes. They're, they're gonna they're gonna trade for our like Oliver Perez at the deadline. Right, there we go. Lefty That's option. You feel great, man, because that dude's like forty. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah, he's only forty. Like I could actually is, see forty from where I'm sitting right here. So what is is Albert Pujols the old, oldest major leaguer, or is Oliver Perez older? Because uh, I think Pujols was born in eighty. Really, Pujols? I believe so. I, I don't know for sure, but I know that Nelson Cruz is Nelson up there too. Cruz, yeah, yeah, Nelson Cruz is up there. 
Yo, Nelson Cruz was traded by the Mets in 2002. <laughs> it's not wild. Yeah. Signed, signed by the Mets? No. Mm-hmm. I think signed by the Mets in 1999 and traded in 2002 or something. Mm-hmm. If only we had it, the age sooner. Isn't it just crazy, too, that like just thinking of when some of these players were, were drafted. So Brandon Nimmo was drafted in 2011. He was drafted 10 years ago. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. Cruz was traded by the Mets in 2000. If that doesn't make sense. Oh, really old. Old. oh man, the Mets lose the World really Series old. to the Yankees and, and trade away Nelson feel, Cruz. What, what got me to feel really old the other day was seeing <clears throat> Pelfrey in the booth. Like, <laughs> it hasn't been that long, man. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. well, I think the the first time we had an MLB draft where we drafted somebody who's, whose birthday started with a two – that that was a that was a moment. Now pretty much everyone drafted their birthday starts with the two. So, yeah, unless unless they're a very like an older college senior, yeah. The, every, every draft prospect is now uh, a two thousands baby. Dude, I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm just a few years away from you know MLB draftees being older than my oldest kid. Oh, oh nice. nice. There you go. Just scary, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Onward we go. Yeah. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on what we've seen so far? I mean, I know the, the, the core is kind of there, and we know the, what's ahead of this organization, but um, what about 2021? Uh, slow start, kind of coming together now. It's so, Tim, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but the New York Metropolitans may never lose again. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's it. The episode it, was you know- complete without that. <laughs> as as much as I joke about that, like it, I, I do feel this as a fan, not not that literally, but when the going is good, I feel like this team is indestructible. I'm like, we've got the pitching, we have good defense now, we've got really good hitting, top to bottom. We're never gonna. Lo- There's no way this team could lose. Then we lose two in a row. I'm just like, other than Jacob Degrom, everybody sucks. You know, <laughs> like it's crazy. How, like how the roller coaster that you have as a fan. And, like, simultaneously, both things can be true, right? The team can be playing poor baseball outside of DeGrom, who seems to just never be bad. Um, but then they can put it together, and you're like, this team is awesome. And I think that's going to be the season with a, a pretty young team that's still kind of coming together. We're going to have these ups and downs. But at the end of the season, it wouldn't surprise me if they have a winning percentage pretty close to 600. Just I, I think the talent is there for that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but – the Mets have lost three games, and two of those games were started by Jacob Degrom. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're gonna be fucking fine. <laughs> Serious? Jesus, I can't believe the kind of pitching we're getting out of these guys right now, man. I mean, Tawan oh, yeah. Walker has been oh, really showing his stuff, man. Mr. Walker, please. What? what a, oh, man, I know it's just two starts, but is this the steal of the offseason? I mean, what? What a great signing. This is a guy that, that you and I were paying attention to from the time that, you know, he, he was drafted, down in the yeah. lower mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so to see him actually put it all together the way that we mm-hmm. knew that he had is – and to do it here, of all places, like, th- this is fantastic. It's, it's like a guy that we were rooting for already for years prior, and now he's doing it here. Uh, uh, it's, it, it's a gift in its own, man. Also, can we just make a point here that pitching careers are not over just because you have arm problems in your 20s? And just a, a couple starters, Taiwan Walker and Carlos Rodon, are having brilliant starts to their seasons yeah. because they're finally healthy. 
health goes a long way for pitchers. Well, it looks so, the same like, way when you look at Wheeler, who we just saw, uh, what, mm-hmm. yesterday? I mean, the mm-hmm. guy had how many Tommy John surgeries? Three? Like, he had one no, I, that, that didn't he, take, and he, he had actually, to have it redone? I think he only actually had one Tommy John surgery. He just had no. complications coming back from it. Zach Wheeler? Yeah, yeah, he had one that didn't take, and he had to have the I thought the he just had a, a – I, I just thought he had a two-year recovery from one Tommy John surgery, but I could be it was, it was two two full seasons. Um, I think they had to remove scar tissue or some shit like that. And yeah, they that's not doing those Stomach shots, and that kind of built up everything else, whatever whatever the hell that was. But, yeah, I think it was one – it was a it was a Tommy John and then an extensive cleanup and then complications. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was that was what I thought too. Because because the recovery rate for double Tommy John is kind of horrible. I mean, if you have a second Tommy John, it's it typically means your career is over. And I think that's why some people have, I guess, long career concerns with Jacob Degrom. Which I you know I, I don't want to think about that, but he already does have one. Then again, most most major league pitchers at this point have already had one. But if you haven't read Jeff Passon's The Arm, he does talk about that there with a couple of different major leaguers who had not one but two Tommy John surgeries. And it's just very difficult to come back from you know, a second. You know what's wild now that you mentioned that book? Wasn't that stat from that book where it says that like 40% of pitchers that, that are either in the majors or in the minors have had Tommy John surgery? Or it's something or like that. It keeps climbing every dude, year. It has to be higher now. Dude, that book is like oh, what, it is. eight years old now. I don't, th- I don't know. I don't think less. it's quite that old, but it is. You're right. Every year that percentage uh, climbs, but also so does the success rate for Tommy John surgery has been climbing as the surgeon surgeons get more talented and the, the re- we get more information on how to recover properly. I think it's more that- repetition than talent. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, like the sure. first time, um, the first time you put together a jigsaw puzzle and it yeah. took you like a long time and then you realize yeah. you got to do the edges first. I, I would hate Doctor, to have like done the first one. <laughs> Dr. James Andrews, expert jigsaw puzzler with a knife, <laughs> with, with a scalpel. That first Tommy John surgery must have been like, all right, he's out of here. Shred everything. Get rid of it. Shout out to Bill Burr for that joke. <laughs> this is, though, why I'm, I'm just not at all hesitant about offering a nine-figure contract extension to Noah Syndergaard, even not knowing how he's going to pitch after Tommy John, because we all know that the guy works tirelessly. And I, and I just I have a lot of confidence in pitchers coming back from that and coming back from that to the level that they were. Um, it, it, so it, Syndergaard has to be extended, I think. And, and I'm not afraid to give him a lot of money. And he might come at a discount for that exact uncertainty, but I would try to lock him up like now <laughs> before he gets back on a mound and reminds people how darn good he is. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the the death sentence or the career death sentence that Tommy John once was, um, of course, nowhere near that now like you were just saying, but now it's like thoracic outlet is, is kind of that. It's exactly. The, it's the new Tommy John. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you look at um, who was Chris Archer last week, who was pitching just beautifully. And then he had to come out. He got hurt. I didn't even see what that was yet. Um, but, you know, it, it it's medical advancements. And yeah, I'm not hesitant in the least bit to throw money at Syndergaard. Um, I think it's going to be tough to, uh, with the season that I think Strowman's going to have, it's going to be tough to keep him. Um, from testing the market. I think he's going to be a hot mm-hmm. commodity. Um, I certainly see him continuing on his success that he's been on so far. I think he's 0.73 ERA through two starts. That's yeah, a, good, uh, a nice first step. But, you know, it, he's become the fulcrum point. Um, yeah, they got a lot of decisions, man. And speaking about coming back, you know, the Mets are doing this 
they got like what the second best team um, rotation ERA, and this is before Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard are actually here with the team. Yeah, like, yeah, they're holy shit, two point eight one team ERA. That's third in baseball going into Wednesday night. That's that'll that'll play. Then oh, I, so- I think that has everything to do with James McCann and Tomas Nito behind the plate, like Working two guys who know how to call mm-hmm. a game, um, mm-hmm. especially with the back end. Not really including Taiwan Walker, who's like you guys said looked at, you know terrific, but kind of easing along Peterson, easing along Lucchese, mm-hmm. who's really good. He'll get another shot this weekend. Um, you know, perfect storm, man. Everything's kind of coming together. It's really it's a beautiful thing. So I got a question for you guys then. If if that continues to play, it's and Taiwan Walker continues to pitch well, Peterson, Lucchese continue to look good. And then we get Carrasco back. And then not long after that, we get Noah Syndergaard back. And I, I know this is a tough question to ask. And I, I kind of hate the phrase, it's a good problem to have. But what, what, what's, your, what's your call? Like, who, who do you send down? Is it Lucchese? Is it Peterson? Is it one of them to the bullpen? Is it Walker? Like, what, what do you do there? Do you, do you I, limit the starts with Syndergaard and Carrasco? Do you piggyback games? Like, what's your solution for six good starters? I think that it's going to be a, a thing of – it's going to depend, and it's going to depend on how the bullpen's doing. And if the bullpen's doing well, then it's going to have to be someone being sent down to the minors, and unfortunately it's going to probably be Lucchese first and then Peterson. But if not, then it might actually see one of Peterson and Lucchese going to the bullpen and keeping one of them stretched out down at AAA mm-hmm. in case they need a starter. I think that's honestly the way it's going to go. What do you think I, of – Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just wondering about. I kind of forgot about Jordan Yamamoto. Like he's he's there too. Like does he no. see any time? Uh, is, is he a factor at any point this season? I think he's going to be. Well, now we got a bunch of double headers coming up because of all oh, these yeah. outs. and yeah, I think true. he's going to be part of that. You know, you get the the extra man on those mm-hmm. double header days, and I think he might be that guy on several occasions. You know, so, I think that they're both going to have uh, between Yamamoto and, and Lucchese, who I also think is probably going to be. I don't want to say the odd man out, but I do think that he, he shifts into a different role and he fits into that opener role very well. Uh, I think Peterson, him and Peterson, even piggybacking them off each other on a fifth day could, could work. Um, and really, you could even limit, uh, I guess, wear and tear on the bullpen if you wanted to. Let them go four innings apiece and Diaz close it up, ideally. Um, and you have to worry about spots in the bullpen. I mean, Castro's looked terrific. May had his hiccups, but he's striking out 16.2 per nine. Uh, Diaz, Diaz's stuff looks, you know, fantastic. Even familiar. I mean, that's – if Jerry familiar is the weak spot in the bullpen, um, you know, and you got three other guys who are going to be kind of scratching and clawing to get innings. Um, I think we still got to see Kasselman at this point. Like, right. we got to see what, what he's doing, and we got to see if that fastball is staying flat or if it's going to have a little bit more traction and motion to it. But because Familia's – honestly, he's producing some really soft contact right now. He's actually, I think, in the 100 percentile right now for, like, exit velocity, which is mm-hmm. – that's absurd. But, I mean, sure, it's, it's early in the season and everything as well, but the thing is – you know, you're watching what's happening. It's just little infield dribblers that, that are getting down to base hits. But, man, if he if he just starts missing bats later in, in at-bats instead of earlier, he's going to be striking some guys out too, and it's not even going to come down to the field as often. It's just, again, that's a matter of if. And I guess we're, we're kind of – I think the Mets are really going to play by ear right now. Um, 
but I don't think that we're at a point, especially with, with Cohen, where they're afraid to take on a sunk cost. If they got to let a guy go, they got to let a guy go. So be it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where Batanzas fell in. Um, yeah. You know, he, he wasn't really cutting it. And they said, okay, you know, we, we kind of have to keep things moving and, and you have a shoulder issue. Let's, let's, you know, move you over and let's mm-hmm. see what we got. Mm-hmm. Probably shooting him up on cortisone like every two days or something. Yeah, but I mean, even if they kind of get him back healthy and, you know, he's still only touching 91, 92, where does that, what kind of help does that bring? Where, what does that do? It doesn't. If you're just blocking another live arm that could possibly be, be more effective, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sometimes you just got to move on, right? Yeah, I, it's a tough it's call. A- it's a bummer because Batanzas has had such a great career. I mean, yeah. even even like if you take just from the start of his career till now, including the couple lost seasons that he's had here recently, he's still among the leaders in, in war because he was just so good. And he, he, my my uncle's a big Yankees fan, and, he, and when we signed him, he he warned me about this. He was like, "Del Batanzas is going to come out throwing." kind of soft early in the season and he always gains velocity as the spring goes on and by the summer he's he's thrown 98 uh, with good movement and, and locating and so you know e- even as Batances has gotten older okay maybe we can't expect 98 but but in the mid 90s should still be within range for him but then you know he gets hurt and that just pushes the timetable back and so I, I think I agree with you I think we're at the point where maybe this is a cut bait sort of situation it's just a bummer because I think if he if coronavirus didn't happen he got a full ramp up and he had avoided these injuries we'd have be having a very different conversation right now and be a conversation about how dominant the back end of our bullpen is with Evan Diaz yes and and this but I think there's one concern there and I think it's Batanz is actually himself saying like I'm not that guy anymore yeah I've got to learn a new way to pitch but he's got to kind of embrace that and I think this spring he was trying to and I know he Mm -hmm. went and worked on it in the offseason, trying to, um, even without the velocity, kind of get that rise back on his fastball and kind of open up his breaking pitches, which are still absolutely disgusting. But mm-hmm. it, without the without the velocity, it doesn't really allow the other pitches to breathe. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to have to kind of rediscover himself. And whether that's here or not, I mean, it's a shame because he came in with so much promise. Um, you really hoped that he, he could have kind of used this as a, you know, a step into his next contract whatever the case may be but uh yeah it didn't really work out but you know if you're looking back at Miguel Castro and, and he's pushing mm-hmm. you know 98 and a half 99 miles an hour on average you know and, and he, he's looked good so far he's going to take all these leverage these higher leverage spots that the familiars and the Batances is kind of left on the table I just you know what I would, I would love to see with Castro and I'm sure this has happened. I would just love to, to see it as a fan, see some report of this. You know how Jacob DeGrom was taking Matt Allen around during spring training and kind of taking him under his wing? Mm-hmm. I think he, he needs to take Miguel Castro around because they, they both have really live arms. Uh, Miguel Castro has somehow maybe even more dynamic a slider than Jacob DeGrom. It's not as good a pitch because he doesn't control it as well, but it's it, the spin rate on it and the velocity are, are both DeGrom-esque. And well, the fastball actually, velocity in life. I hate to interrupt you. Mid- his, his average more, spin rate. Yeah. His average spin rate's actually higher than Degrom's on his slide. It, it is, yeah. Again, not not quite the same pitch because of the okay. the location and command of it, but it's more dynamic. And his fastball is like like you said, it, it is at that level. I would love to see Degrom just mentor him and be like, "Hey, like we're, we're similar arms here. Let's try to let's try to calm your stuff down." know where it's going and you're, you you could be a top five reliever in all of baseball. 
Uh, so I, I would love to see that. Um, he's not there yet, but he's a he's such a fun guy to watch. Also, I refuse to believe that he's not somehow related to Jamie Foxx because the two of them, like, <laughs> like the, the next time he's pitching, just look at his face. Like it's Jamie Foxx in a six foot seven gangly fireball uh, throwing <laughs> person. <laughs> He's impressive. And he's got he's got stuff that moves like Diaz's. And boy, if they, if both of them get, sit them both down with Jake, let them learn how to harness that movement. And boy, that there's 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 a next level for both of those guys. And um, I wouldn't want to be in the box facing that <laughs> facing that next level against either of them. You see Bryce Harper on Wednesday night. Yeah, that was um, something. I think Diaz in the it was in the ninth. Um, he hit him with two sliders low. And Owen oh two, he just absolutely blew. It was one oh one, and I think he, yep. Mike Mayer, put it up on Twitter today. He had a seventeen inches of horizontal break on a four. Oh, like are you serious? On a four seamer, that's ridiculous. That's, that's insane. That's unheard of. That sounds yeah. like a cutter. Yes, bro. Right. That's a, that's a two seamer. That's a like a slider that, on a four seamer. Oh, that's, that's four crazy. Seamer. And it just cut directly away from in a Harper's foot. He stood no chance. Now, if you can do that, mm. if you can harness that type of stuff on a consistent basis, which Diaz looks a lot closer than he has been in recent years to, to get into that mm-hmm. point. Um, boy, that's a that's a formidable back end, man. And throw May in there, who just the dude paints. Um, yeah, that's that's fun. And and you know, really is. you find you find these guys their roles, and you know, you know how important it is for relievers to kind of settle into roles and have that kind of regular routine, but. Boy, having the options to kind of mix and match and kind of play those hot hands a la Terry Collins, it's, um, yeah, it's exciting. I think they really did a great job of kind of shoring up all the deficiencies they could have this this winter. So I where's agree. the weakness on this team, then? Because we're going to lose some games. We're going to lose a lot of frustrating games. We, this is the Mets, after all. Like, where do you think the, the – if there is a glaring weakness, where is it? And how could the Mets address it maybe in the I- trade deadline? I think it's still in the bullpen. I think it's still in the bullpen. I think the back end still looks really good right now. But I think ultimately that when they're behind on games and they got to, you know, take out a starter, maybe in the fifth inning, fourth inning, that's where we're looking a little bit weak right now. But again, this is a very malleable situation where by June, that may not be an issue with no Syndergaard and Carrasco coming back and some guys being able to shift roles or do whatever. Them, it may not be the same now as it is in eight weeks. You know, of right now, that that's our deficiency. I think secondary might be some of the bench spots. I think the bench, while it does have, you know, we, we've been giving a, these guys a bit of shit, but they are honestly doing that bad. Like, it, if, you, if it comes down to the numbers, they're doing all right. But it's, and, and we have to take note. These guys are bench role players now, you know. And they're not going to be as good as the starting guys that we got. So, yeah. like VR, you know, in, in moderation, I think VR can really be an asset. But mm-hmm. Luis Guillorme, the way he's hitting and the way that he fields every position they stick him at, you can't keep him out of the lineup. And when JD mm-hmm. comes back this weekend, I think Rojas is going to have a real um, – he's going to be in a pickle. Like, do yeah. you – because J.D. Davis is back certainly warrants playing time. But with the play that Guillorme has been giving him, um, how can you justify – it's just, it, you know, I think VR is going to be the odd man out here. And, um, the, you know, the Mets are going to have to figure out how to make that rotation work, whether it's Guillaume and Davis just at third or and, – and, by the way, I think third base, I don't want to say it's, the, it's a weakness, but um, 
you know, having a consistently solid glove at third base really makes this pitching staff that much better. And if you already can keep this up, great. He's my starting third baseman, and you don't even have to worry about it. But uh, I think you kind of have to get that set. You really do. Mm-hmm. And Davis, you're going to have to find places to put him. Without the DH, um, yeah, it's going to be tough. And his third base play has been okay this, this, this year so far. And even through the spring, it was okay. But uh, A couple of hitches, but I mean – Kind of to be expected. Um, one of the options that people spoke about during the offseason is actually on a really hot tear, and it's not the one in Chicago. It's the one in Seattle, and that's Kyle Seager. He, he's mm-hmm. actually he, he's tearing off the roof right now. He's uh, hitting 317, 383, 537. The guy's just having a really hot start to the year, and if he keeps that up until the deadline, he might be the option that's going to be moving. Was he? Did you like him uh, as a free agent or, or a trade target recently? I, I, I vaguely recall you wanting the Mets to get him in the past. I think more so I, I saw him as a more affordable option if um, the Cubs were trying to play heavy-handed with us and is more one of those, well, forget you guys, I can make this option over here and we're still going to be a formidable team. But now I'm starting to, to perk up on this choice a little bit more, but – uh, again, it's one of those things that I see at the deadline too. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was kind of enamored by Bryant for a while. I really like Eugenio Suarez. Um, I like Seager. Seager's a really he's been a consistent player for a long time. Um, I'm, and that's not to say I'm not comfortable with Guillaume and Davis, but mm-hmm. if you can, you know, if get you a third base by this roster with 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 that with that level of capability. Um, yeah, it's tough to tough to, to ignore it. I got to agree with that. Absolutely. I kind of still like J.D. Davis, guys. I, I know. I, I, like I got to let this go. Like, he, I just feel like his bat is really good. I don't even think we've seen the, the most that his bat has to offer. And he's no, got a good no, arm. No. And I'm just like, oh, if you could just get the footwork down and the reads is a little bit better, you could be so good at third. You don't think 2019 was kind of his high watermark at the plate? You think there's more? Um, I think maybe for power it was. I don't see him hitting. I, 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 I'm not looking at it, but I want to see at like 27 home runs or no, maybe not quite that much. 22, 22 home runs. Was it 22? Oh, maybe he's got a little bit more than that then. Um, but no, I actually think he could. He, if you, you gave him a full season, you would see numbers better than he posted in 2019. Uh, just because I think the the swing is really good, he he has good exit velocity. He's he's gotten the launch Excellent. angle thing down, and and I, I don't know. I just I I I really like the bat. That was a trade I was very wrong on because the, the guys we gave up, I I also liked. And I was like, who is this scrub from Houston? And then, and then he started right. playing for us. So I was like, well, really who the hell is this? <laughs> well, Stephen, I don't know if you remember like us talking around the deadline when um the mess traded away Jay Bruce. But J.D. Davis was one of the guys that I actually spoke to you about that I said that I wanted. It was between him, Yandy Diaz, when he was still with Cleveland. And um, actually, funny enough, yeah, you kind of burned me for this one, but I also kind of wanted Colin Moran, even though I knew that his defense really wasn't going to stick Yeah, I've never been much of a fan of his, all the way back to that draft year. And I, give him credit. He he's, turned, he's turned into a better player than I thought he was going to uh, based on the, out of that draft. But he wasn't a guy I wanted for third at all. It's on the side. Yeah, Yandy Diaz has got to be the strongest man who can't hit the ball (laughs) 
in the air in the I've air. ever yeah. seen. Like, could, can't any coach get that guy to just put the ball in the air? I mean, he's the strongest man in baseball. I don't think anyone would would deny that. And he's got you know a Wilson Ramos esque uh, launch angle. It's so it's mm-hmm. which, by the way, I guess Wilson Ramos doesn't have a negative. There was a long time where where Wilson Ramos had a negative launch angle. I'm mm-hmm. like early last season. I'm not oh, highest, early to us. It was it was ridiculous. Highest ground rate. Uh, ground ball rate in baseball since 2018 that belongs yeah it doesn't surprise and it, me by like four percent and now he's got what six home runs already five home runs already this year it's so frustrating i'm not it's trying crazy. to point at any fingers of, as to why that might be or why wilson ramos had a what was it like 62.9 percent about like ground ball rate in 2019 62.4 actually there you go. That's ridiculous. That's way higher than than any other point in his career. And right now he's sitting at thirty two percent on his ground ball rate. Yeah, that'll you know that'll come back down to earth. And we we've of course. seen we've seen Ramos be that streaky hitter, and it's it's not always been power, but we've seen him reel off three or four home runs in a week. This hasn't mm-hmm. you know he, he had what was it a twenty something thirty game hitting streak a couple of years but ago. But it's just the anomaly. It's just the anomaly of having yeah. a 62 to, to almost have a 63% ground ball rate in any season. It's impossible. Yeah. Like something almost 10% higher than like your career average. That well, look so, at, there has to be a reason. Look at Eric Hosmer. And and you know I, I I can't presume that Wilson Ramos is putting in the same type of work to increase his angle that, that Eric Hosmer is but Boy, the, the transformation that Hosmer's swing has gone through in the last couple of years, and he was a very, very high ball, uh, high ground ball guy, and he was right up there with Ramos. If Ramos was was the, was the highest, Hosmer was probably number two over that span. Um, I mean, think about it. Those first two years that Hosmer had in San Diego looked like a detriment. If I'm not mistaken, he had a negative war those first two years yeah. being in, a, in San Diego. Like, that's, he's raking now. Yeah, absolutely. Over 1,000 OPS, that guy is – Oh, congratulations to all the fantasy owners. <laughs> like, is there, you must have gotten him like the 13th, 15th round and mm-hmm. waiting on a first baseman. Somebody probably took the guy you wanted, and then you were like, oh, frig, just Eric Hosmer, fine. And you're like, all right, <laughs> Eric Hosmer. Like me with Gavin yeah. Lux. I have Gavin Lux and Nico Horner on my bench, just kind of waiting. Oof. Just I, I, I am a big Gavin Lux fan. I, I think he's going to be a. Oh, he's for a long time. To start the year. I think he's like over for his last twelve or something. It's just not fair how much talent the Dodgers have because yeah. even even some of the guys that we've been taking for granted on that team are really good contributors. You know, I guess I like we forget how good Chris Taylor is, and <laughs> even how good Justin Turner is. And I think it was a good move to bring him back and Corey Seager in a, in a contract. A throw I think it's going to ball. Loop. I mean, for a lot of baseball fans out there, McKinstry came out of nowhere and he's doing he did. Well. He yeah. did. Yeah. I did not know who that was until the nope. first two games of the season. I, I saw his name on the ticker on MLB Network. I said, who the hell is McKinstry? Yep. <laughs> I think, uh, again, this is going to be one of those breaking bad moments where they're, they're just looking at Andrew Friedman like, he can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so the, and, and people look at the Dodgers like, how do the Dodgers keep doing this? Or how do the Tampa Bay Rays keep doing this? Even the – all right, so so the trade that they, they made last year I, that I was just like, oh man, did, did the Rays lose a trade where they gave up? Um, oh, Ray, help me out with his name, but the left-hander, uh, Shane McClanahan. Oh, Shane McClanahan. Yeah. Uh, they gave him up. Who was a you know this was a guy I really liked. I, I thought I thought it was really really good. I love them got, in that draft. I, I I did too, and they got Randy Rosarena back, and I'm just like, eh, I mean, okay, like he's good, but you know, I I think finally the Rays lost a trade, and then and then this guy yeah. goes out and has. 
the most historic offensive postseason ever. And I'm like, well, the Rays did it again. And so, like, I, you, you start to wonder those, like, are the Rays just this lucky or the Dodgers this lucky or do they have systems in place that are, are that much better than the rest of Major League Baseball? I think the answer is that they have systems in place that are that much better than the rest of Major League Baseball. And I, I'd really like to hope the Mets, who seem to be heavily invested in big data now under Steve Cohen, are just going to be that much better than the rest of Major League Baseball and have a $250 million payroll, or at least the ability for a $250 million payroll. And that's, that's exciting. As much as $300 million extensions to Lindor are, it, it, I, I, I almost get a little bit more satisfaction out of finding those diamonds in the rough that nobody else sees and, and having them ball out for us. And that, that's fun too. I'm just curious as to like when this is going to level out. At what point is just everybody going to be doing exactly mm-hmm. like enough executives from the Dodgers and the Rays end up getting jobs as GMs in other places, and and it just balances out eventually. When are we going to hit that point? I, I don't think I don't you're ever going to hit that soon. point because because as soon as you have all 30, 30 major league teams kind of where maybe the Dodgers are now, the Dodgers will have moved on to something else. Not moved on, but they they've found. Deficiencies or deficiencies, another thing, right? You know, there was a point not too long ago that the Baltimore Orioles did not have a sabermetrics department, an analytics department. The Philadelphia Phillies did not have an analytics department. It wasn't that long ago. Now everybody has an analytics department. It's just how much money you're going to put into it, how many people you have hired, how much technology you've invested in. And at some point, that's going to be pretty even too. And and I know, I think Tim and and Ray have talked to Mm -hmm. both of you individually and in a group about this, but there's you know, scouting in, in different countries or investing more heavily in Asia, investing more heavily in, in, in player psychology the and, 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 right. uh, and maybe investing in behavioral health and things like that, where, where maybe we've turned a blind eye before and they're like, hey, if we get, you know, look at Dom Smith, just just something that was was uh, his sleep, right? Like yeah, maybe, maybe all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all 30 teams have, sleep psychologist on staff you know like like i, I don't know it, that might not be a thing but it might you know and, and it's and these little things point, it's, it's those little, little things, things that kind of you know they'll they'll unlock these next levels and you don't know where it's going to be yeah so so i think as soon as the analytics becomes more commonplace with all 30 teams the the rays and the dodgers if they continue to be the smartest people in the room so to speak that they'll, they will have pivoted to something else to to just blow everybody away with there's going to be and confused that's, as to what that is man I, right I it's, it's going to be gonna it's going to be a 49 year old clayton kershaw throwing junk balls and winning cy youngs <laughs> and i don't know how they're going to do it but they're going to you know Keep going the curve if it's not <laughs> it's like like he's gonna be like i literally don't have a ucl anymore they're like oh does it hurt just keep throwing it <laughs> Or UCL is just a rubber band. It's right. <laughs> Newfangled surgery with, with Dr. James Andrews, now 114 years old. Oh, it's literally oh, just a rubber man. band, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like rookie of the year, but in 2038. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just I really hope the Mets are that that organization too. I don't want to be behind the curve catching up and maybe getting lucky here or there. I, and I think the Mets, I don't know really how they're doing it. They're, they're drafting really, really, really well. And, and maybe it's just having two really good people at the head of that department and, and Tommy Tanis and, and Mark Tremuda. Tim, is it Tremuda or Tremuda? Tremuda. Tremuda, I'm sorry, Mark Tremuda. I always got that wrong. Uh, I think those two are, I mean, arguably two of the top 
dozen scouts and head, head of scouting divisions in baseball. I mean, maybe even oh, yeah. higher than that. Um, so maybe it's just two really, really, really good guys in that role, or maybe we're doing something else with, with, with cross-checking and, and, and data. And I'm not sure, but the, the point is the Mets are drafting really, really well. If we can do more in the analytics department with the, with the lower key free agent signings, I think the Mets are going to be a behemoth when you combine that with, with a, a, a wallet, which we have now. Um, yeah. But I hope we continue to, I, the drafts are so fun for me because like, I'll be sitting there going like, you know, I've got my top five right here and the Mets will be, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pick a guy 13th on my list. And I'm like almost automatically now I go, he's going to be good because the Mets have hit that consistently with their early picks over the past, you know, nine drafts or so. Yeah, I mean, and even the guys that they're going out and, you know, who was it, uh, JT game last year. Yeah, um, beautiful pick. Oh, my goodness. And then you, you take that sort of, um, I guess, approach to it where, hey, who's the absolute best player in the field, like, you know, on the board the value yeah. that we can mm-hmm. get right now. And, boy, they're going out and finding them, man. It's, it's really They really are. Oh, since we're here, can we, can we chat for a second about the draft? And I've got a really specific question to ask you both um, it, it, that involves – new baseball and data and, and the draft. So I'm going to lay it on you. Uh, we were just talking about exit velocity. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, uh, launch angle rather. And we all know that players are, are changing that swing path. They're, they're getting the bat lower in the zone. They're trying to elevate the ball. And pitchers who have been able to adjust with the quote-unquote straight fastball, which is you know never actually straight, but kind of that, that fastball that, that stays up in the zone and can get over those swing paths has had a lot of success. And Jacob deGrom has truly, truly mastered this. Has, has it made it harder for sinker ball pitchers who have natural dive to their pitches combat the launch angle revolution? And, and I'm going to give you one example. I, I think this perhaps has plagued Casey Mize a little bit as a natural sinker ball pitcher from his, you know, his, his dominance in the college ranks to, to make and struggling, struggling is relative. He's still doing well. And then he, he, he missed time because of coronavirus and whatnot, but hasn't kind of blown the world away with, with his stuff either. And there's a pitcher that the Mets I'm, I'm certain are scout have scouted and are scouting right out of my hometown of Boston, Texas named time Madden who is a sinker, single sinker ball slider. He, he is just because I get to watch him every Friday night and he is a dominant uh, Texas flamethrower, but he is a sinker ball slider pitcher. His stuff naturally has really good sync to it. Our teams may be going to shy away from those. And there's a couple of them in, the, in that draft. Andrew Panther from the high school side, Jaden Hill, who unfortunately is getting um, Tommy John. He's got a very heavy fastball. Uh, but there's guys I'm wondering if if baseball is going to shy away from that sort of pitcher thinking, hey, we're going to have to retool this guy or run the risk. of. I'm going to give you a short him. answer to that, man. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. The answer is no. The answer is so, no, because but under the caveat of how good are those are those sinking pitches, how good, how effectively are they producing those ground balls? I, I just want to give you a quick number. These are the top 10 guys right now in baseball and ground ball percentage. And you tell me uh, how many mm-hmm. of these guys are not particularly successful. So mm-hmm. Stroman's at the top right now. Yeah, not, not shocked there at all. 64.9. Ivaldi, who is actually having a pretty good season so far, is right there. McCullers yeah, career, Jr. Career, Ivaldi's yeah. been a, a, a worm killer for sure. But he's also, yeah. I mean, he's been good and bad and good he's and bad. He's been but both. Yeah. <laughs> but right now, when he's producing those ground balls at that rate, he's doing better. Mm-hmm. McCullers Jr., Herman Marquez. Oh, I love him. You know I love him. Dallas Keuchel, Huascarinoa, mm-hmm. Joe Musgrove, Hyunjin yep. Ryu, 
Corbin Burns and mm. the familiar Steven Metz. That's yeah. that's a nice group of pitchers. It, it really is. So that that's why I think like you know it's about how effective you are with it. If you're mm-hmm. not able to get to get enough sink on a sinker or a splitter or anything that's that you're trying to use to produce some ground balls and people are able to lift it against you, it, it's it's not it's not going to be great for you. But I think just as well, even with the kind of launch angle swing that, that that a lot of guys are utilizing right now, some guys are finding a way to get that angle on the bat and hit those higher pitches. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, Dom's first home run of the year was, like <laughs> it was letter letter high. It, but it he, was up. I mean, inches at least at least three to three to five inches above the upper limit of the strike zone. But did crazy. you see the angle of his bat? Yeah, it was beautiful. It's like, point, it like pointing downwards, <laughs> but like he's swinging at his neck. And he, also, he just drove it. His left forearm was at such an angle to get that barrel it level. It was just yeah, very impressive. Um, yeah. that, that also, Dom Smith is just way stronger than people give him credit for. Oh, I mean, it's because yeah, like he, he's old, quote unquote only six feet tall. I mean, he, he does look small compared to Pete Alonso. He's stupid strong though. Yeah, I, and real quick about the sinker ball compared to like a let's say a, a fireball who lives up in the mm-hmm. zone, like you were saying. Yeah, I think the teams. I'm not going to say that the guys without that velo to lean on are going to take a back seat to the high velocity guys. So I think mm-hmm. there's still a lot of value to be had in, in a pitcher who, who has the, you know, the spin rate, the active spin, all that stuff. And I think that scouts are going to, especially with the, with the, I guess, greater data and greater technology available to them. Um, they're going to look at these numbers and say, Hey, this guy with, you know, a hundred percent spin efficiency on, on his off speed stuff, this is something we can work with. And I think maybe that they're going to give these guys a little bit more, I guess, developmental leeway um, because, you know, when you have Velo to kind of fall back on, you can, I don't want to say you could kind of skate by with that, but when you're, when you're out there and if you're not throwing high nineties, if you're sitting 94, 95, man, you better have some absolute pristine command and, um, and just mm-hmm. you know, terrific control of your pitches. And I think teams are still going to take on these guys. I just think they're going to take them with more of a, I guess, project gloves on if that makes sure mm-hmm. okay well based on both of y'all's answer i'm gonna i'm gonna make a prediction here on april 15th the mets are gonna draft time madden if he's there <laughs> i'm calling now, it that's now rough, I mean, man. it's 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 way too early for this it's just this is this is the like the mets would be drooling over this guy in their wow. system especially with how well the mets develop pitchers he'd probably slot in there pretty similar to where matt allen will be and the two of them climbing the ranks together would just be beautiful i love time madden man i think you know, he, he has a big fastball. That slider. Slider is nasty. Yeah, yeah, really hard break. And and to think that, that scouts think that his changeup is his better pitch. Uh, no, I, I mean, from, from my amateur scouting yeah, eye, right, it's, it's not. It's not. Yeah. It, it, his slider is really good. I and mean, he throws this sneaky curveball to uh, to left-hand hitters. Uh, it's it's actually it's clever. He he only ever throws it against lefties or I've only ever seen him throw it against lefties and he'll bring it in like in on the hands. It's it's <laughs> like it's it's sneaky but it's good. Uh, and the thing I like about Ty Madden, he's insanely competitive. Um he reaches back for 98 when he wants it even 110 pitches into a start. Uh it, it, the thing is like he loses his release point at some every so often. 
But what I, I, I the like command is, is an issue so far. The, so far, the, the, the command, command is an issue. The command could be better, but you also got to remember he's facing really good competition here. Um, it, it, That's something to consider, man. Because like, dude, I don't know what it is, but this year it seems like a lot of the hitters in in in, uh, in college baseball are a lot more patient, man. Like mm-hmm. we, yeah. I know you just as well as I have been making pretty good use of our ESPN Plus accounts yeah, for for sure, <laughs> for sure. It's it's been but, so much fun dude, tuning into these games. Like, and, and I think um maybe some of the the criticisms of like umpiring at the major league level is kind of getting some of these umpires at the college level to maybe not call some of the the pitches that they would typically Mm -hmm. since i feel like they maybe have more eyes on them but yeah man i feel like guys who would be considered really hot command guys are walking guys more than before gunner hogland his walk rate this year even though he's a primary Uh, command pitcher man yeah, he's he's got. I mean, I don't I don't want to say the best command of the draft. I think that's probably lighter. He's one of, uh, but, he's, but one he's of up there. He's, a, yeah. he's in the top uh, he's, area. He's another guy I could see the Mets drafting. I really, I really am I starting to narrow down. If it's I, a I pitcher, I, lo- I love hogging. If, if it's if it's him or Madden, I would not be I would not be sad whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and both of those guys, actually, so I've got a comp for you for, for Hoagland. Uh, Aaron Nola, is that a bad comparison? I, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't really say so. I think, you know, they're both kind of softer tossers who, who that, kind of That's make what I was more, thinking, like, yeah. like good, good command, not a flamethrower, multiple pitches, even and at the college level. Yeah. It was, yeah, striking out a ton of guys just from command and, and, and multiple pitches. That's why I was making that comparison, really. I think from from where their third pitch was at this point, from when they were going to get drafted, I think that that's not a bad comparison. Yeah, Man, you know, I think I think Noah was probably a little bit farther along at the further along at this point. But um, I mean, I mean, Hogan's he he's striking out the world, which is really cool for a guy who's yeah. um, throwing ninety miles an hour, not ninety eight. Which is which is an improvement from where he was last year, even though you know they mm-hmm. had kind of like a shortened season yeah. in college. But man, he's yeah. really doing it this year, man. Like, uh, I get it. Last. Oh, sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I gotta have you guys back on next month for the draft crime. Like, oh yeah, so the the draft is later this year. It's not a it's, it's not, not May draft. Uh, May or June, I think it's in July. Uh, Ray, is that is that correct? Hi. Dan, are you gonna make me check? Uh, it, it's it's I I believe because of pandemic uh, really? fallout, it is later this year. I think it's just to let to let seasons and players have a little bit more time to to showcase because. Some of those high school seasons, we're just not seeing a lot of game game wow. action right yeah, now. Yeah, you're right, man. July 11th to 13th. Yeah, so it's a, that's wow. what I'm saying. I'm making this call on time, Madden, way <laughs> early. The, the draft is in six oh, weeks. No, we, it's, <laughs> it's already been recorded. I've already wrote it in my notebook. Oh, I know. So this it's just it, wild it, to see like how many guys have been gaining like a uh, draft stock and oh, which yeah. guys are getting healing. Like right now, like Matt McLean, I think his stock is going up pretty well right now. Oh, well, that's um, weird because it, it was going down. Like, you know, he was a top five guy and then he plummeted and now he's coming back. So it's dude, that's, his, that's OP, a, his OPS is almost at a thousand right now. He's like a nine for him. Good for him. Yeah. Right? A couple of hot weeks and you're right back in the Yeah, dude. Uh, I think yeah. the the more crazy thing is just like how how close his K and walk rate are. Like he's walking mm-hmm. like um at a thirteen point four eight clip and striking out fourteen point one eight. That's is, nice. You know, he's that's nice. Literally kissing it right there, but right, for, my for boy Sal Frelick, yeah. Sal Frelick has walked, bring him up. walked and struck out fifteen times each. I'm telling you, he's Brett Gardner. That that is my comp for him. <laughs> That's he's a good Brett call. Gardner. It's a good comp. I like it. 
Yeah, I mean, think about it. He's a guy who walks a ton, speedster, uh, you know, play, play, plays right field, but has the speed and the ability for center. It's, that's mm. yeah, it's, that's where I'm getting that from. Oh, I, I know, Tim. This is not your your draft uh, draft episode here, but but could I <laughs> oh, ask okay. this? Is this is this is this regime ever going to draft a prep pitcher with the, with their first pick? See, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of like. I, I haven't even looked that much into prep pitchers outside of someone like Andrew Painter because I just feel like the mm-hmm. Mets are not going to Jackson Job or Joby, however you say his name. Yeah, he's what, like the, the third ranked um, prep pitcher in this draft right now. Uh, and, I would and, think he, he's my number one. His stock is up right now. Yeah, and his stock is up right now. I, I think yeah. he's showing it more than anyone else that, that's available right now. But mm-hmm. Are you really going to take him over a Madden or a Hog? Uh, you see, you see, I'm not. I'm personally, I'm not. It's just the 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 delta on those guys is is just so much mm-hmm. higher. But but it does let some other team take a take a project and maybe get a better pitcher. It's just the the risk and and reward are are both higher. Um, and I, I think this regime has has been a little bit more conservative with those with those first round picks, at least when it comes to pitchers. Mm-hmm. And, and from the reports, man, like Painter's season has not been going all too it's well. Not been, and he's not lost, been going he's great, lost no. a lot of stock. Although, yeah. conversely, no, actually not conversely. Yeah, on, on the same note, uh, Judd Fabian's stock has has hit, taken a dramatic hit, man. I can't believe he, he's striking yeah. out almost thirty five percent of the time right, right now. And this, it, it's strange because we wanted him to struggle enough to make it to ten, yeah. <laughs> but not too much that the Mets get scared away. And he's struggling you know, too much. It. Dude, he's hitting he's, 237 237 right. in college that that would have 326 it's not gonna be done i don't care how much power you have man you cannot have that kind of contact rate he's almost at the point where i'm i'm looking at him like please be around for our second pick <laughs> you know? oh yeah uh, he, yeah he if he's around too you fucking take him <laughs> he probably won't make it because i think some team is still gonna be like this is one of the premier talents in all of college college baseball and and you, you remember what happened with trey turner in his draft he was the consensus number one overall pick mm-hmm. tried to hit for too much power his junior year to get you know even more um i don't know just just clout or whatever i'm not sure what was going on he was pressing though and his batting average fell fell a little bit and he, he and his team started to get worried about his actual his overall hit, hitting ability and he fell in the drafts for that that's the only reason other than that he should have i maybe not number one overall um but certainly top five and i don't i'm not sure he was in the top five he i think he fell much farther than that but, but anyway my, my point is that like I, I'm not sure teams are willing to make that mistake with Fabian again, but if they are, hey, I'd happily take them around two, and you know, we'll we'll see. Um, we will eat up those mistakes every time. I don't know how far Jin Hill is going to fall. I, so I, I disagree with a couple of draft folks on Twitter about this. They seem to think that uh, Jaden Hill, and for those listeners who don't know who Jaden Hill is, he's a guy who a lot of scouts and, and experts said actually has the best pure stuff in the draft, even even better than Lighter and Kumar Rocker. Um, just because it's so good, 99-mile-per-hour fastball, arguably the best changeup in the draft. Uh, it's just just a filthy, filthy stuff. Like it's good. He has a slider. He has a curveball. Um, the problem was he he was a reliever for, uh, for most of his college, his freshman year, then coronavirus, and so he just didn't really pitch much, and now he has Tommy John surgery, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. there's a huge question mark around this guy. I don't think there's How any it- way in hell that he gets past the supplemental round. I don't either, but but uh, some some draft folks disagree with me on this, uh, thinking that we can get him in round two because JT Ginn just kind of ha- it was kind of very very similar situation. The Mets were able to get him um, in round two. I don't think he makes it past pick 
30 or so, but I could be wrong, you know, and, and if, he, if he does slide that far, then I hope the Mets do have a shot at him. It just feels like a Dodger pick to me. And it's like, if it gets oh, yeah, right really there, does. like the, <laughs> there's not, I, I don't see anybody who who's in that 25 to 30 rank right now. Like if you're, if you're putting your, your, um, your chart of your guys, mm-hmm. I, I don't see how there's anybody who you're going to take over Hill at that point. It's like, dude, this is a project that's worth working on. So yeah, absolutely. Guys, you, you, I, I swear, I you know, I'm trying to keep up. But I'm <laughs> sorry, Tim. <laughs> no, no, it's okay, bro. You guys, you, your knowledge of these draft prospects are, are absolutely um, mind blowing. I, I wish that I had the uh, the capacity to take on another, you know, thousand players into my fucking mental database. <laughs> so, Tim, I will say this for you and any, anybody listening who just wants to eat up as much baseball as they can. If there's one draft to tune into, in my humble opinion, it's this one. We had yeah. a five round draft last year. There's more players in this talent pool, and this there's thing is less swollen. It's swollen, swollen. And, there's, and there's less information statistically than we usually have because of how much missed playing time there was because of the pandemic. So this is going to be the wildest, wackiest, probably the most fun draft in years. So if you're gonna buy, like like invest in one, learn about the players, get your favorites. I recommend doing this one. And um, if you happen to like do your research and agree with me on Ty Madden, um, it, even better. Uh, if, if you want to be wrong and go with Ray and uh, not be on the time ad train, then that's fine as well. You know, but, but the more the merrier, I would just say, um, get, get in on it. I think it's going to be a blast this year. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be doing my homework. Um, cause I, I'm definitely having you guys back on before the draft because this is, uh, this is some good stuff here. And, um, yeah, once, I guess, once the boards become a little clearer and once, uh, I guess I I need I really need to get my feet wet in this uh in this pool because again from what you guys are telling me it sounds like a very exciting class coming up um it's still going to be short rounds correct well shorter shorter um total total length like the time between picks right uh no no as far as the rounds uh, last year hey, I didn't five. think so I thought I thought we had a full draft here but I could be wrong oh I know that well I know last year what was it five rounds. It was only five rounds. I think we have a full draft this year, but I, yeah. I haven't heard otherwise. Ray, is that- oh, that's I haven't cool. heard anything either. Oh, I see. Last year, I thought I remembered hearing that they're going to do the same or something similar. Oh, that, well. that would be no, a that huge disservice to all, yeah. like, to all of those college players who went back for their senior year because they weren't drafted. Yeah. That would be horrible for them. Cool. Oh, that would be uh, – you know, just think about all the development lost between the amateur and the pro levels yeah. um, over the last year. I mean, everything's kind of – upside down but we got to save some content for for the draft <laughs> yeah for sure oh, do you know what's beautiful about this tim it was like like it, we could do an entire draft episode now in april april 15th and by by may 7th the whole board will be scrambled you know and we're gonna be sitting here going yep time adding down here in the 30 to 40 range and we're looking <laughs> at him for round two and you know someone we've never heard of before is a top 10 consensus pick, a now. Top it's, pick or something yeah yeah it's, it's crazy how quickly these things change Oh, I guess some Jonathan India helium like a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, you know? for sure. Oh, he's finally doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy for I I like the Ra- the Reds draft picks from the last handful of years. Mm-hmm. I, I like I've Reece always Hines. been a Nick Reese Hines. Reese Reese Hines. Yeah. So so I I've really liked um, Nick Senzel for a long time, and I hope he gets some some consistent health because uh, he he's a really cool cool player. Hunter Green. Um, I, he's he's, he's he's back for on 102 miles an hour. He's a stud. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, that that Reds team. Uh, really don't have um, it. I'm sorry, uh, Nick Lodolo. Nick yeah, Lodolo. Out of Texas again, not, not not University of Texas. He was Texas A&M, Texas Tech, or am I thinking of Asa Lacy? I'm thinking that was of Asa Lacy. Never mind. Other Tim Lacy. Um, sure. You'll have to edit that part, I, out, Tim. I, I, I don't no, remember I think, I think actually. Max, Max Meyer went Florida, uh, Miami, and Asa Lacy mm. went Kansas City. Okay, Max Meyer was the guy I really liked. That I was, I was a good such at the top a, of your board, fan. yeah. He was. And so, like, um, I don't know if, if you guys knew this, but I was actually at basic training when that draft happened. And um, so, like, I didn't I, I didn't get to follow it was the first draft since 2008. I was not able to to watch. And I didn't find out who the Mets pick until I got a letter at basic training from uh, Michelle Callie and um, M. Callie on um, on Twitter uh, telling us who it was. And I was really, like, really pleasantly surprised to see Pete Crow Armstrong and. Uh, JT Jin, uh, again in there. I thought that was really good, but I had no idea Meyer went that high. Like I, I knew I, he was good. He was going to go in the first round, but I did not think he was going to go what number three overall. I thought, good for him though. He's a stud. Yeah. No, they look. You know, there's so much talent bubbling up because all these guys have, you know, they have the data that the pros have. They have. They're able to kind of focus on their their target areas and, and all that fun stuff it's very exciting <laughs> but guys we went so far over my time limit andrew's not gonna be, andrew's not gonna be happy with this <laughs> yeah you it's a, I, I i before we recorded this i was just like i feel bad for tim's editor if that if that's tim if that's someone else because like, like whenever i'm on a podcast with ray we like that we're, we're the tangent team that's what we are like, yeah. like we you'll just you could tim you could just give us like you could just be like 2004 and like 45 minutes later we're like what was the question <laughs> keep this a secret uh but oh, steven doesn't good. know that i've been like recording our phone conversations over the last oh, few God. months and i'm gonna re- i'm gonna release them edited as podcasts <laughs> at some point <laughs> Remastered. the hidden the hidden masters where can uh, where can everybody find you on social media all that good stuff so I guess you're, you're not getting our social media, uh, and that's the end of the episode. I was waiting for I was waiting for Ray to uh, to answer. I'm I'm at Stephen Josiah 13 on Twitter, and um, I'm at Ray yeah. Brutal on Twitter. Um, that's R E Y. Yep. Excellent. And um, are we gonna have you guys back? For, for the uh for the draft for the oh yeah if you want here, i'm here man you're gonna have to set aside like a two-hour podcast or break this up into like <laughs> three 45 minutes or something like that because oh goodness we could probably talk for 10 minutes about each player in the first round alone oh no we're gonna if we're next time we get together we're gonna do this live we're gonna stream it there's gonna be no editing. oh nice I'm yeah. I'm I'm game for that. We're gonna oh, have a banner on the side of names. Shit, let's we could even live stream the draft, boys. I don't that, think- that would be fun. I would actually be Ooh. so game for that. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I definitely I, I just got into uh Clubhouse. I just got into uh locker room to I guess you know audio only kind of live streaming type uh platforms. Um certainly looking to expand into that, but yeah. And once, you know, once things go back to quote unquote normal, uh, big plans for the show. We're going to be doing live shows. Awesome. All that. Fun. Awesome. Nate, you guys are going to, you know, you're in the rotation for sure. Sick. Love it. Gentlemen, well, thanks for having, ha- We're looking having forward us on. To yeah, very much looking forward to this. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been um, a lot of fun.
Oh yeah, man. Thank you so much, Tim. And uh, last note, let's go Mets. Let's, let's fucking go Mets. Go Mets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for cursing. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. Yeah, it's part of it's part of the the chant now. Yeah, goddamn right. All right, it's guys. LFGM. LFGM, baby. You guys know where to find us. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with a recap of the weekend. Uh, you know, hopefully the Mets come out of Colorado, not frostbitten with a couple more W's. Let's go. <laughs> if we even play, let's, let's hope we get some games in. I, I think the snow's supposed to move out, but it's supposed to be like 15 degrees on Saturday night. Oh, that's fine. That's no problem for Jacob DeGrom. In fact, somehow it's going to be our first no hitter. You know, 15 degrees, Jacob DeGrom's going to do it. Yeah. Right here first. Yeah, Ty Madden uh, being drafted by the Mets number 10 overall in a couple months, and Jacob DeGrom, no-hitter in Colorado. Uh, the first no-hitter, sub, the first sub-freezing no-hitter. Right. There, there it is, yeah. We wrote it down. Okay, good. The big freeze, we'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you so much again for coming on, and um, guys, we'll see you next week. Peace.